This audio file comes from the Libri Ideas Library at www.libri-ideas-library.org. The library contains over 1,000 lectures and discussions which explore questions about the reality and relevance of Christianity. We ask you to respect the copyright for this audio file which belongs to Libri Fellowship. The file is for personal use to share with friends, family and colleagues, but please do not publish the material in any format or post it on a website without seeking permission from Libri Fellowship. Please note that views expressed in the lecture and discussion time do not necessarily represent the views of Libri Fellowship. Great, now it's recording. Hi guys. This is... Um, Thank you all for coming. It's great to see all of you. Some faces that are familiar faces and other faces that I don't know. But I um, am just so thankful and pleased that you are all here. Um, Like Ben said, I have uh, been coming to Labrie for a number of years and just really love it. And have um, it's been a really important place for me and for my life. So... Like he said, I'm Shauna Kurihara. I am an artist and I'm a spiritual director. And I lead retreats and teach classes on spiritual formation and soul care. Um, so it's a little, little about me. Like Ben said, I've spent quite a bit of time here as a student and then again as a helper. And um, this place of Labrie has very much been a shelter and a safe space for me. Um, and I hope that it has been that for you guys too while you are while you are here. Um, it's the place where I started to believe again that God loves me. It's the place where I first actually understood the story of redemption, and um, it's the place where I found a lot of clarity in my vocation. So it in some ways feels kind of full circle to be up here talking to you guys tonight about things that are very much part of my vocation. So really, really thankful. Um, Like Ben mentioned, again, I graduated from Gordon-Conwell in 2021 with my Master of Arts in Spiritual Formation. And I um, spent most of my time while I was there studying beauty and how beauty relates to different areas of our lives and different areas of spiritual formation. And I'm just really passionate about beauty and the role that it plays in our lives. So I'm excited to spend some time talking to you all about that tonight. So just a little bit more about me. My husband, Adam, who is the front here, um, we met at Labrie five years ago, almost five years ago to the day, actually, (laughs) give or take maybe one or two days, but almost five years ago to the day. It was just as hot. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Um, We are currently hosts at a place um, called the Wilson House at Gordon-Conwell, which is their guest house on campus. And Um, We have the opportunity to provide welcome and hospitality to special guests at the seminary. Um, And so that's been kind of fun to be able to incorporate some of the things that we learned through our time here at Labrie into our lives and the work that we do now. We really love welcoming people into our home and hosting meals. Um, 
I love beauty and beautiful spaces, and so having a home that is beautiful has meant a lot to me, and being able to be in this space that is beautiful means a lot to me. So I'm really thankful for the role that Labrie has played um, in getting clarity of my vocation and the work that I feel like God's called me to do. So, like I mentioned, um, I have taught classes on beauty and soul care, and I have led arts retreats, and I love using art as a way of connecting further with God and his word while leading soul care groups. So my hope this evening, as we dive into this topic of beauty as soul care, is that um, you will experience your soul being cared for and nourished by the things that we talk about this evening. So I like to talk about soul care as caring for the garden of your soul and the things that we do for soul care as the things that we do to nourish and care for that garden. Because there is a lot of essential, intentional, and hard work that goes into gardening, I think that translates really well into the metaphor of soul care and caring for the garden of your soul. I've taught some broader and more introductory classes on soul care where I go into a variety of different spiritual disciplines that can be used in the process of nurturing the garden of our souls. And um, many of those disciplines may be things that you guys are familiar with and may already be practicing in your own lives or have started practicing in your time here at Labrie. And I would encourage you to continue to do those things. Um, because they are good for doing the work of caring for your soul. But tonight, we are focusing specifically on how beauty cares for your soul. So every time I teach a class or lead a spiritual direction session, I start with a short Lectio Divina, which is a slow, thoughtful reading of a text of scripture followed by a few minutes of silence. And I do this because I think it's incredibly important for us to practice being still and listening to God. When we allow ourselves the time and the space to be still, our minds and our souls have an opportunity to settle and to open to God in a way that they otherwise wouldn't get to in our normal lives. Being here at Labrie in some ways allows you to do that as well, but most of the time our normal lives are busy and we do not spend enough time resting or being still or listening. So this stillness and this silence is really essential in the work of caring for our souls. And it allows us to invite the Holy Spirit in and gives us space just to notice his presence among us. So I'm going to lead us in a short Lectio this evening before continuing on, because I want this space to feel like soul care. So just a few um, instructions before we begin that. As I lead us through this time of Lectio Divina, I invite you now to get comfortable. 
Um, close your eyes. If you would like to close your eyes, that is fine. Sit in a way that feels good to you and um, prepare yourself to receive from the Lord. So what I'm going to do is read this small portion of a psalm slowly. I'll read it through three times. After each time, I will give a slight pause for you to um, ponder what you have just heard. And as I am reading, pay attention to any words or phrases that you notice from the psalm. What sticks out to you? What catches your attention? What's the Lord saying to you? And maybe a different thing will speak to you each time through, or maybe that you'll notice the same thing. But after the third reading of the psalm, we are going to sit in silence for two minutes. And during those two minutes, uh, I would invite you to meditate on what you noticed as we were hearing the word of the Lord. If your attention wanders, that is okay. Be gracious with yourself and bring it back. And then at the end of the two minutes, I'm going to pray for us and we will continue on. Also, if you are listening to the podcast later, I would encourage you to do this exercise as well. So let's close our eyes and get comfortable and lift our hearts to the Lord as we receive his word. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. As I read it a second time, um, see if there's any new things that you notice or if it's the same thing that sticks out to you. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. After this final reading, I will let us sit in silence for two minutes, and then I will pray. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple.
Our beautiful, merciful, and gracious God, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done for us. We thank you that you want to dwell with us, and we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the gift of your beauty, and we we ask that you would be with us and bless us this evening, that you would speak to us, and that um, you would fill us and that we would feel your presence here with us, Lord. Please open our hearts and our souls to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for um, doing that exercise with me. I, I find that um, it's always really helpful for me as the teacher to have that moment to center myself and invite the Lord to be with me as I speak. So um, now that I've introduced myself more fully, I'm going to move on to talking about beauty, which is why you guys are all here this evening. Um, So beauty. (laughs) I'm sure uh, many and most of you have probably heard a variety of the phrases that I'm about to say. You may have heard all of them. We'll see. Um, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Or maybe you've heard somebody say, beauty is only skin deep. Or you've heard people say, it's the beauty on the inside and not what's on the outside that counts. And then I'm going to throw in another that's very different um, that says beauty can save the world. And so you can see that there's a lot of uh, mixed messages that we receive about beauty. And um, it's hard for us to know, what is beauty? Are we supposed to care about beauty? Is it, is it okay for us to care about beauty? Is beauty good? Uh, should we not worry about beauty and be focused more on spiritual things rather than physical things? I know these were a lot of the questions I was asking when I first started being interested in this topic of beauty. And so it would make sense if you are asking some of these same questions as well. Um, it's hard to know what to think about beauty. And truly, it is hard to know how to define beauty because to some degree, beauty really is objective. What is beautiful to me might not be the same thing that is beautiful to you. Or maybe we find the same thing beautiful, but um, the way I perceive it and the way you perceive it are different. An example of this that I can think of is a sunset, and I think we can all agree that sunsets are astoundingly beautiful. But I prefer, my favorite place to see a sunset is to see it setting over the mountains of North Carolina. Um, That is a special place to me, and it is my favorite place to see a sunset. It's the most beautiful place to see a sunset, in my opinion. Some of you might prefer to see the sun setting over the ocean, and that is also beautiful. But again, this is our our definitions and our preferences of beauty here in that particular instance are a little bit different, and that's okay. 
we experience beauty a little bit differently, and that is fine. Additionally, if you try to put too many parameters or bounds around beauty and what beauty is, you can also limit it and put it inside of a box, and that actually prevents you from experiencing the real depth and glory and mystery that true beauty can bring to the world. And I think that's such a shame when we limit beauty and its essential role in the world. There are actually quite a few people who are thinking and writing about beauty right now, which I did not know when I first started being interested in the topic of beauty, and I found it difficult to find resources. And so I'm thankful now to know that there are resources. And if you would like these resources, I would be happy to share them with you at the end after um, our time together is finished. Before I move forward, though, I do want to share just a few of the thoughts that some of these people have on beauty. Each of these people that I'm going to share, they're all authors, they're all writers, um, but they have various different roles. So Dallas Willard, he's the first person. He describes beauty as goodness made manifest to the senses. I love the simple definition of beauty. Goodness, beauty is goodness made manifest to the senses. Another that I love is by John O'Donohue, who is a writer and a poet. He um, is Irish. Um, I believe he's a Celtic theologian. And um, he has a lot of really interesting, different views on um, various things. But he's written a book on beauty. He says that we feel most alive in the presence of the beautiful, for it meets the needs of our soul. And that really is gets to the core of what we're talking about tonight. This idea of beauty meeting the needs of our soul, of it caring for our souls. And then this next one is from Makoto Fujimura, who is a Japanese artist and theologian and writer and he is one of my personal favorites and so you will hear me talk about him a variety of times throughout this evening he describes beauty as being food for the soul and i think this idea of beauty as food for the soul plays into the idea of beauty nourishing us and feeding us or um, being fertilizer to the gardens of our souls, like I mentioned before. He says that beauty is the quality connected with those things that are themselves appealing and desirable. Beautiful things are a delight to the senses, a pleasure to the mind, a refreshment for the spirit. Beauty invites us in, capturing our attention and making us want to linger. And I really love this description of beauty. He also tells us that beauty is a gratuitous gift of the creator God and that beauty finds its source and its purpose in God's character. So when God created He did not have to create things to be beautiful. He could have created them to be purely utilitarian. 
but he made them beautiful, and he did this out of his goodness and his graciousness. He reminds us that our sense of beauty and our creativity are central to what it means for us to be made in the image of God, which is a pretty significant statement. We are made in the image of God. Beauty and creativity are central to that. So tonight, I am going to talk a little bit about a theology of beauty, which truly is a fairly surface level uh, covering of a theology of beauty because people are writing books and dissertations on this, um, and this is neither of those things. But I I do hope that it will give you a bit more of an understanding of why beauty matters. We will consider why beauty is so important in our own individual lives, but also why it is important in God's greater story of redemption. And then we will also think about how to apply this information to our own lives through the work of soul care and caring for the garden of our souls. I really hope that at the end of our time together, you will see beauty as something that is essential and nourishing and deeply important to our spiritual lives. So I will transition now to talking a little bit about theology of beauty. And to talk about the theology of beauty, we ultimately have to start at the very beginning uh, with the creation of the world. As Christians, we believe that our God is the creator God who created all things. In the first chapter of Genesis, we read through the story of creation And we see that each new thing that God creates, he describes it as being good. And he says this seven times, I believe, if I counted correctly. He might say it eight, but I think it's seven. But when we look at this, God says God saw what he created and he saw that it was good. When we look at... This word in the original language. First, I will say I am not a scholar on biblical languages, but this is what my research has told me. So do not ask me other questions about Greek and Hebrew because I cannot answer them, but maybe other people in this room can. Um, We look at the translation of this word good. In the Hebrew, the word that is used is tov, but The word that is used in Greek when they did the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, um, the word that is used to translate good is kalos. And this word kalos um, can be really closely associated with the word beautiful. And so in English, we just see that translation to say good, but really it's a much more full meaning of that word good, um, verging towards the meaning of beautiful. So God saw all that he created, and he saw that it was beautiful. He did not have to create the world to be beautiful, but he did. And I love that. I want to point us back to um, Mako Fujimura and 
what he says about beauty being a gratuitous gift from the creator God, because I, I think I tend to agree with him on that. So if we look at the world that God created and we recognize it as both good and beautiful, then we can't help but acknowledge how much God loves beauty, which um, when I realized this was kind of, it maybe it shouldn't be, but it was kind of a mind-blowing moment for me. <laughs> um, God loves beauty. If he created the world to be as beautiful as it is, then we should be able to see how important beauty is and should be in our own in our own lives. Beauty isn't something to be commodified or to put in a box or to be pushed to the side, but rather it is something that is deeper and more mysterious and more essential than we realize. Ultimately, all of creation is a reflection of God's own beauty. So all beauty that is in the world originates and comes from God. And there are many types of things that we recognize as beautiful. We recognize the beauty of nature or the created world, which I have already mentioned briefly. We recognize the beauty of people people who are made in the image of God and you are all beautiful. We recognize the beauty of art or something that has been created, whether that be a painting, a sculpture, a piece of writing, a piece of music, or something else that was created that maybe we don't think of as art, but it is still beautiful. And then we recognize the beauty of a spiritual encounter with God. And this is a different type of beauty than the other three, um, but it is special and beautiful. Um, And each of these things are different, but they do fall under the same broader umbrella of beauty. We recognize that God is ultimately at the top of this ladder of beauty. He is the most glorious and beautiful and majestic and uh, much more of all of those things than we are actually capable of recognizing or understanding or um, even much more than we are capable of experiencing. But we also recognize that both humans and nature creation are a reflection of him. So we are reflections of his beauty. And then all art or things that we create are further reflection and inspiration of God. Mako Fujimura, he talks about being inspired as being spirit-filled. And he talks about how... How all beautiful, created, and inspired things ultimately come from being filled by the Holy Spirit. And he emphasizes that this spirit-filling inspiration, excuse me, is, is not only unique to Christians, actually, but that all works of beauty and art are ultimately influenced and inspired by him, regardless of whether somebody recognizes 
the Holy Spirit's presence in their life and in their work and in their inspiration. And I also love this because um, I think it's another example of how we can't put God in a box and expect him to work the way that we think that he should work or the way that we expect him to work um, or the ways that make sense to us. But he is good and he is doing wonderful things. And so it is good for us to receive those things. And all of this matters and is connected when we think about beauty as soul care, as caring for your soul. Like I said, both humans and nature reflect the beauty of the God who created them, but we, we do it in different ways. But I think that there is something deeper, more true, and more good about beauty than can actually adequately and easily be expressed in words. Um, And I definitely felt the lack of that as I was preparing for this lecture, despite the fact that this is one of my favorite topics. When it comes time to prepare things to say about it, I find that I always fall a little bit short. And I think that's just because beauty is more and God is more than what we can comprehend. And we lose a bit of the depth and the magic and the glory of it, even in trying to put the boundaries of words around it. So um, I think we should recognize that as we consider what we are learning tonight as well. Even so, my hope is that this brief and perhaps poor explanation of beauty will help you to experience God in a different way as you do the important work of caring for your soul. Whether the beauty that you are using in soul care is the soothing beauty of the natural world, being in creation, going for walks, watching sunset or enjoying the sound of the birds or the wind, um smelling the flowers, all of these things, or or maybe the beauty that you are using in soul care is um, the beauty of artistic creation, whether something that you are making or something that somebody else has made, or the safety of a beautiful space, or um, listening to music, or hearing a beautiful story, Each of these things really have profound ways of caring for our souls. One of the ways, or I say one, but I actually think this is the primary way that we take in beauty is through the use of our five senses. We must hear, touch, taste, see, and feel beauty. Because beauty has form. Most of the things that we think of are beautiful have some kind of form. Um, Beauty is a very real and physical gift to us from God in this way. And when we allow the beauty of nature to care for our souls, when we slow down to notice and participate in it, we recognize that each of our senses are often engaged and... um, the slower we are, the more senses we can engage. 
And by being in nature, engaging these senses, experiencing this beauty, I feel the stress and the anxiety starting to leak out of my body. I don't know if you've experienced this too, but it is something that happens very often in my life. Um, You see that I've started talking about the senses now. And if you remember back to the beginning when I read you those quotes, you will remember that both Mako Fujimura and Dallas Willard, they both talk about beauty as being taken in with the senses. And that's because beauty is physical and it exists in this world that we experience and take in with the senses. We experience beauty with the senses. And we encounter beauty all throughout the natural world. Some of this is me repeating things that I've already said. We see beautiful sunsets. We hear the birds singing. We smell beautiful flowers or the salty air or the deep woodiness of evergreens if you are in places that have those and an example that I love to use when thinking of experiencing the beauty of creation specifically through the senses and using all all five senses is honeysuckle um there's not as much honeysuckle here in Massachusetts as there is in Georgia where I'm from it is prolific there (laughs) Um, but do you all, have you all experienced honeysuckle? Great. I am glad because I want you now to think about your experience of honeysuckle. So envision, envision the flower that you see or the bush. Get it in your mind's eye. All right. So now what I want us to do is to picture or imagine the sweetness of the smell of honeysuckle. Imagine smelling the honeysuckle. It is my mom's favorite scent, so I will forever think of my mom when I think of honeysuckle and the smell of honeysuckle. So we smell the sweetness of the flower. We see the beautiful wild bunches of honeysuckle that grow in the woods or in our backyards or on the sides of the highway. We can, we touch, honeysuckle should be a full sensory experience. And if you have not used all of your five senses with honeysuckle, you should. (laughs) If you have never picked a flower from honeysuckle bush, you should. So we, we pick the flowers, we touch them and we feel how delicate the flower of the honeysuckle is and how careful we need to be as we pinch the base of the honeysuckle to pull the stamen out of the honeysuckle so that we don't lose the little drop of nectar and then you get to taste that little drop of nectar. And it is one of the best tastes. And then we've talked about four of the senses Likely, it is likely that you will hear some bees buzzing around a bush of honeysuckle. Or maybe if you've been quiet long enough, um, without making other noises, you might hear birds. Or maybe the wind has started rustling around you. Um, But in this experience of the honeysuckle, we have used all five of our senses 
And in order to do so, we really did have to stop and be still and be present in that moment. And I love the full sensory experience of honeysuckle. It's very nostalgic for me as well. That's another reason that I love it. So this is talking about our senses being activated as we take in the beauty of the natural world of creation. Um, But our senses are also activated when we participate in the creation of beauty as well. I'm a painter. I don't know if I mentioned that, but I am a painter. And I um, actually primarily paint scenes from creation. Um, But I love using oil paints and watercolors. And they're very different. The sensory experience of painting with these two different paints is totally different. But one of the things that I love most about painting, specifically oil painting, is the way that the paint feels as it moves across the canvas. Um, It feels totally different putting paint on a canvas that doesn't have any other paint on it than when you are putting paint on a canvas that already has some paint on it. And I, I feel very alive and connected to God and awake in moments when I am painting and engaging these senses. And it isn't just about um, what I am creating. It actually doesn't matter as much what I'm creating, even though my hope is that the end result will be beautiful. Um, I don't always like the finished product. That's okay. Even when I don't like the finished product, my soul still feels nourished even by the act of painting. And that is part of the reason that I paint. I feel connected to God in a different way when I paint. And when I have spent time where I haven't been able to get my paintbrushes and paints out, there, there is a dis, I feel a disconnect from God in those moments um, that really only for me, can be uh, closed with painting. And because of this feeling, because of this experience, I know that painting is soul care for me. And I I also, because of this experience... um, I am sure it is connected to what Mako said about when you are being inspired, you are spirit-filled. I have experienced that. And uh, even when I don't like the finished product, I am reminded in this experience of not liking the finished product that just as God is the creator God who created all things and is making all things new, so I can be invited to continue making my painting new. And this particular spiritual lesson is an important one in taking you out of yourself and reminding you of the bigger story of redemption. This reminder is also an act of soul care because 
our individualistic minds and culture, they can make us think that everything is all about ourselves, that our faith is all about us, and even that our soul care is all about us. But the reality is that we are just a piece of this bigger story of redemption that God is writing. And I find this to be extremely comforting, both to know that God does love me individually for who I am, who who he created me to be, but also that I am only one person and one part of his grand and beautiful narrative. Beauty nourishes our souls individually, but it also reminds us and points us of the ultimate hope of the gospel, which is the fact that Christ is working to make all things new. As Christians, we think about the things that are now, but we also think about the things that are still yet to come. The beauty that we take in with our senses in the physical present now also points us to the beauty that is still yet to come. Beauty reminds us that even in the utter brokenness of our world, we still have hope and that we can cling to this hope when everything else seems hopeless. And there is a lot that seems hopeless in our world right now. Um, yeah, there is a lot that seems hopeless in our world right now. And I think that it would be foolish for us to ignore those things and try to cover that with beauty. That's not what I'm trying to do. I don't want to cover the pain and the brokenness with beauty. That's not the point of it. But the beauty... I'm trying to remind us that the beauty gives us hope and it points us to hope. Beauty reminds us that there is still goodness and that God is still here and that he is still making all things new. And even with the things in the world that are terrible, we can still see things in the world that are beautiful. And we need to remember those things. When everything feels hopeless, we can see beauty of a reminder of God and his presence and cling to that. And as Christians, we should be using beauty to point people to the hope of the gospel and to remind people that all hope is not lost and that the story is not over. And in fact, I think that beauty is one of the most compelling ways to share the gospel. Um, We all need and want and desire beauty. I mentioned before that I like to think of the soul as a garden. And it needs to be cared for, cared for, cared for, and nurtured and tended to. So our souls, I've talked about the soul, but I will talk a little bit more specifically about the soul now. Our souls are the essence, 
the deepest part of ourselves, the place that God designed and created that are unique and special to each of us, and they are the place where God wants to reside with us. So our souls can either be open and receptive to God. When they are open and receptive, they are most likely well cared for and nourished and ready to receive him and more easily able to feel him and connect with him or our souls can be closed and often when that is the case they might be uncared for and we can feel blocked off from our emotions and from God or hardened or angry or frustrated And so just as you have to care for a garden, you have to water, you have to fertilize, pull up the weeds, make sure that it's getting enough sunshine, plant seeds, which should have been before those other things that I mentioned, but that is in the lineup of things that you do in a garden. So so we need to care for the garden of our own souls so that they can be open and ready to receive God. God's story of redemption both begins and ends in a garden. The Garden of Eden from the book of Genesis in the very beginning. We're going back there. The Garden of Eden is a temple where God intended to dwell with his people And Adam and Eve were meant to be the priests of that garden. And then after the fall, this relationship was disrupted and the garden was no longer the place where God could dwell with his people. But a key theme throughout the whole story of redemption that we see play out on the pages of our Bibles is that God does desire to dwell with his people and that he is constantly working to make a way for that. So initially, this way was in the Garden of Eden, which was a temple, as I mentioned. And then after that, the Lord provided a way for him to dwell with his people through the building of the tabernacle, which, aside, just a sidebar on that, It was also beautiful. The tabernacle was beautiful just for the sake of being beautiful. And um, it's also the first example we see in the Bible of people being filled by the Holy Spirit uh, for the sake of beauty and the sake of artistic inspiration. And I, I love this. I love that this is so early in our Bibles because it tells us that God loves beauty and loves creating beauty and also wants us to create beauty as well. After the tabernacle, King Solomon built the temple, which was a permanent dwelling place for God. um, And it was a place where God's people could go and experience him and experience his dwelling with them. We then see God's presence leave the second temple in the book of Ezekiel, and his presence does not come back to the temple. 
And so if you read the narrative up to this point and through this lens of God wanting to dwell with his people, you wonder, okay, if he doesn't come back to the temple, how is God going to dwell with his people now? And we don't see him back dwelling with his people until Jesus comes to earth in the flesh and he provides a new way for God to dwell with his people. And we see that God dwelling with his people in the garden of our souls through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I love thinking about it from that perspective. And this is currently where we are in the story of redemption. Um, Jesus has made a way and the Holy Spirit dwells with us in the garden of our souls. But we do believe that Jesus is making all things new. That is both individual in the work of our own souls and also in the world as a whole. And we believe that he will come again and he will make all things right that are currently wrong. And this same imagery that we see in Genesis, um, in the Garden of Eden, this same imagery is present in the book of Revelation with the new heaven and the new earth. So we, we do see this garden imagery all throughout the Bible. And so it does seem very fitting that if the place that God resides with us, the place that God dwells with us currently is in the garden of our soul, which we must care for and tend to like a garden. So I'm going to transition now into application. How many of you have spent time in a garden? Most of you. That's great. I I have to admit that I have not spent as much time in a garden as I would like to, mostly because I have yet to be in a permanent situation where I can have a permanent garden. I have future plans, and I am excited for them. But I have spent enough time in a garden to know that the work of caring for a garden has to be intentional, and it really does have to be done every single day. If we are not actively caring for our gardens, the weeds will grow. Or pests will get in and eat the things that we are growing, or the sun will scorch the things that are growing, or it will get dry and not have enough water. Um, We need to water our gardens and care for the soil. And I do believe, based on what I have read and heard, that the the soil is the most important part of having a healthy garden. And so the soil needs to be fertilized and nourished and cared for. And this needs to happen before things can be planted. And so this this garden imagery that we are thinking about and talking about, we, we do see a lot of gardening imagery and cultivating imagery all over the Bible, but a passage that especially comes to my mind when I think about this imagery of caring for the soil of our souls is the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. So I'm going to read those few verses to you really quick. 
A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the bird came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So in this parable, the seeds can only grow and produce something if the soil is in good enough shape to allow it to do so. The soil has to be healthy and well cared for. Um, with the shallow soil, if there's not enough of it, the roots can't go down deep. If the thorns covered the soil, the seeds couldn't grow and produce good fruit. And Jesus wants the soil of our souls to be healthy and well cared for so that we can produce fruit and so that our relationship with the Holy Spirit can grow there. So how should we care for the garden of our souls? How can we use beauty to care for the garden of our souls? Well, we care for the soil of our souls through spiritual practices, which I mentioned. And there are many spiritual practices that we can do to care for our souls. But I'm going to look at just a couple um, through the lens of beauty and the arts. So the first one uh, that I am going to talk about, I, I have alluded to earlier. Um, and it, this is the most basic, but I also think one of the most important and essential, and that is practicing time in silence and in solitude. How often do we actually allow ourselves the time to sit down and slow down and be silent? How often do we actually listen to God? Slowing down and noticing beauty helps us to slow down and notice God. And I did mention that when we were talking about the honeysuckle and using all of our senses in the experience of beauty there. But when we think about our senses, our senses are dulled and we become blind to the ordinary and not so ordinary beauty around us when we are moving so quickly. And this is one of the reasons why beauty is essential to soul care, because in order to really experience beauty, we do have to slow down. Another that I will just briefly mention and have also used a bit of in this lecture is through Lectio Divina and a similar practice called Visio Divina. And um, both of them also force us to slow down and notice and engage with beauty. In the Lectio Divina, as we did at the beginning, um, we engage with the beauty of the written word of God. And we slow down and allow the Lord to speak to us through his word. And in Visio Divina, if you are less familiar with that, we spend the same intentional time engaging with beauty, but it's usually something visual, like a painting or maybe a song or a poem, something that's not necessarily 
the word of the Lord, but something that is visual that we can ask the Lord to use to speak to us. So aside from these two spiritual practices, beauty does help us to care for our souls in other ways as well. I I do believe that experiencing beauty in any form does help to nurture and fertilize the soil of our souls. Beauty helps us to notice the sin and the weeds that are in our lives. And um, usually when you look at a well-cared-for garden, it is obvious what things are weeds and what things are supposed to be there. It's not always obvious, but it's usually obvious. And when you are around something that is beautiful or you are putting beautiful things into your life, the things that are ugly are more obvious and they stand in stark contrast to the things that are beautiful. We think about how light stands brighter in contrast to the dark. And part of cultivating the soil of our souls is pulling out the weeds. Sometimes we know that the things are weeds because they aren't beautiful, or maybe they are less beautiful than the other things. Um, When we think about gardens and things in gardens, there's a difference in the glorious beauty of a peony, which is my favorite flower, um, and a dandelion weed that is working its way through the garden. Dandelions on their own can look beautiful, but they are a weed. Um, And in this way, though, with the way that some weeds can be beautiful, uh, sin is not always obvious in our lives, um, but that's part of the reason that we do need to spend time Um, cultivating and caring for our souls. Um, When I think about weeds as attached to sin, I can't help but think about the rumor weed from VeggieTales. Did any of you guys watch VeggieTales? Yeah, it's, you know, the rumor weed. Um, And we watch, if you've seen it, you watch how the rumor weed uh, starts really small and it grows bigger and bigger and you have to pull it out and you have to weed it but it gets harder to remove the bigger that it gets and this is a lesson that VeggieTales taught us like 20 years ago <laughs> so as I mentioned beauty and goodness they are interconnected um, true beauty shows us God's goodness And as I stated before, I think part of the reason that beauty is essential to soul care or why I see beauty as soul care is because it does point us to hope when things are dark and hard. And when things are dark and hard, we need um, something to cling to that is beautiful and sometimes we need something to allow us to actually experience full emotion rather than keeping our emotions uh, closed and I don't know about you but I often feel emotionally overwhelmed by beauty um, in the best way I feel the emotion expanding and rising up inside of me when I feel overwhelmed by beauty, my, my voice cracks, and I feel so 
full and it is simultaneously a wonderful feeling and also a little bit of a painful feeling um, because beauty reflects God's glory to us. It's almost too much for us to be filled with this beauty for too long. For me, experiencing beauty is like tangibly experiencing God. And as that overwhelming fullness leaves you, you find yourself simultaneously relieved, um, but also empty. These are the moments when I know that I have experienced the holiness of God. It isn't a bad emptiness, um, but rather a feeling that tells me that there is more. God promises more, and we wait expectantly for him in his promises. We feel empty, heavy, and missing the bit of glory that we have just experienced, um, but knowing that there is so much more that we are promised. And C.S. Lewis has written similarly about beauty. I'm going to read this quote for you guys from his essay, The Weight of Glory. He says, We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words to be united with the beauty we see to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. And I I really love that uh, definition of beauty and holding on to it, thinking about these things, these practices, the ways that beauty helps us care for our soul and the way beauty makes us feel, um, I now want us to take a minute to imagine the garden of your soul. So take a moment right now to think about the garden of your own personal soul. What does the garden of your soul look like? Are there trees in the garden? Or maybe a pond or a cave? Is it filled with plants or flowers or vegetables? What does the sunlight look like in the garden of your soul? Is it bright and dazzling or is it filtered through clouds? I want you to think about how you are caring for the soil of your soul. So take just a moment, think about that. If you have paper and you would like to journal, or if you would like to draw, usually when I do this, I give um, like 20 minutes. I'm not doing that, but I often will give 20 minutes and provide paper for people to spend some time drawing the garden of their souls. Tonight, we're just going to think briefly about the garden of your soul and what is in that garden. I want you to think about what is currently growing in the garden. Is it beautiful? Is it filled with flowers? What do the, if it is, what do the flowers represent? 
Is there food growing in the garden of your soul? Are there lots of weeds that have grown up in it that need to be removed? Has it been well watered and fertilized? So we're going to take two or three minutes to think about that. And then um, at the end of that, I will wrap us up and pray for us and send us on our way. So take just a couple of minutes and think about the garden of your soul. All right. Thank you all for doing that.
usually at this point when I'm leading a class, I would um, give this time for you guys to share with me what you experienced during that, but I am not going to do that right now. Um, We will have time in just a moment for discussion, um, but I know that maybe not all of you want to stay here for a discussion, and that is totally fine. So I am going to close us, and then we can discuss together, those of you who would like to stay. Um, So my hope is that this evening you were able to learn something new about beauty, something new about God and his story of redemption and the work that he is doing in the world to make all things new. I pray blessing over you guys. I pray that um, the garden of your souls would be well cared for and well nourished um, and that the Lord would Go with you and keep you and give you peace. Thank you. So if anybody has any questions, I will do my best to answer them. Or if you would like to discuss as a big group um, what came to you during the exercise of um, thinking about the garden of your soul, I would love to hear that as well. And also, if you need to get up and leave, you are welcome to do that now. I will not be offended. Joshua. Um, I'm just curious and answer however you want. Um, I just, I, thinking about beauty is something that, uh, you know, affects us. It does something to us. We encounter beauty, we experience beauty, and we come away different. Mm-hmm. And our, even to, to run with your metaphor, the garden is tended to. I'm just thinking, if you have any thoughts on, like, we, there's so much ugliness in our, our culture, and I just think of people that, uh, spend hours watching porn, spend mm-hmm. hours watching Fox News, like spend hours just absorbing like violence, angry. Do you have thoughts on how just the ugliness that is so pervasive and so easily accessible? What does it do to the gardens of our? You know, mm-hmm. I'm just just curious. If you, I, I just I found myself thinking along. Yeah. So I think of beauty. I tend to also think of like, like there's just a lot of things that are ugly mm-hmm. yeah oh Joshua it's funny you asked that question because I, I have a friend who um, also does a lot of work on the theology of beauty and I was asking his opinion on um, what he has taught about as I was preparing for this lecture and he said that in their discussion they couldn't get past ugliness and I thought oh I hope that doesn't get brought up. No, it's fine. I, but I think that's very funny how yeah. it's the first question. And I, and, and I probably because it's the obvious question that somebody asks when trying to think about beauty or process. Like, how do we process the ugliness? 
Your question is, what does that do to the garden of our souls? Just, I mean, yeah, I just, any of your, any thoughts, not like an exact answer. Yeah. If it goes anywhere, um, you know, you just, you even talked about, like, um, like, uh, I just think about, like, beautiful food and people that spend their life eating what Joe Morell used to just call white food, which Mm -hmm. is Kraft mac and cheese, white bread, uh, Kraft singles, like, stuff that just does, and you get used to eating this, and it's just what your body, and then someone gives you a, a garden tomato, and you, like, don't. You don't know what to do. Like it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you're like I've never tasted a tomato like this yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. Ketchup. Or, I'm just yeah. Do you have I'm a thought? Because I think that's. I was thinking the same, but I think uh, one question that could be interesting is how can we sharpen our sense of beauty? And so it's easy when we talk about the polar extremes, mm-hmm. right? But in maybe examples that are less. This is the most ugly thing. This is the most yeah. beautiful thing. You know, you talk about how beauty can't be put in a box, and mm-hmm. I agree, it's not like this objective thing. But what are things that we can do, or how can we be stewards of beauty? Like how do we know what is in fact a reflection of God's beauty, and what is maybe a reflection of the ugliness of the world? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does anybody have a thought on that that they would like to share, Adam? When she was here talking about visiting the, she was a worker here, previous year, the exhibit on Rothko's paintings of just black squares, and it's sort of an example of like beauty requires something of you, like to believe that it's there in the first place. So one person can look at this black square and say, exactly, or I could do that, right? Everyone says I could do that. You don't though. <laughs> Or you can stand in front of this massive black square and just be like overcome with emotion. And I remember Anna describing this experience, and I had similar experiences, not necessarily at that particular gallery, but like in front of a modern art that's sort of more abstract. That it kind of hits you, and I'm having a hard time articulating it with words because it's art, it kind of accesses our imagination through that, right? Not through our intellect. So it's very hard to, to articulate, but. It does demand something of us to engage with it and believe that beauty is there. Mm. I I have one thought, and then I will let you share your thought. I think too, maybe you're you're asking, how do you know, how do you sharpen or know what is good? Um, and I think that maybe you need to hold beauty with. Um, this is maybe kind of an abstract idea, but putting goodness, truth, and beauty together and those things playing off of each other. And if you're wanting to know, is this good? Well, okay, is this good and is it true? Or is this, or did I say that wrong? Is this beautiful asking if it's good and it's true and kind of like holding those things against each other? Um, That answers what you said, but not so much your question about ugliness. I don't know if I have a good answer for it, but I'm going to keep thinking about it. And then you had a thought in the back that you wanted to share. I love this topic. I think it's very exciting. I believe that each person in here has the potential as a creative human being, as a creator, 
Um, and, and a lot of the things that people call beautiful actually is doing are doing that. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's the, the accusation of sentimentality is real. It's, right. It's not just fake. Um, so it seems to me that, and this is very much like starting journey fake news about this topic. Um, yeah. To, as Christians, to conceive of, of, of to have a concept of beauty that is specifically Christian and really informed by the New Testament and um, it has to include uh, the ugliness. It includes yeah. taking seriously of the ugliness, which is getting at part of what you said by if it's beautiful, it has to be true also. Right? It, right. It, has to, it, actually, it has to reflect reality as it is, not just reality as we want it to be. Right. Um, and you said that, you know, don't, don't use it to cover up. You know, the, mm-hmm. um, and he, and, and Begley talks about it as, as just maybe the sort of the, the central image that can help us to do that is is the resurrected Christ, essentially who has scars. In it's, it's yes. not, the scars are the epitome of ugliness, of injustice, of cruelty, of pain, mm-hmm. and torture, and yet uh, in his resurrected body, somehow they are completely transformed yeah. and reinterpreted as a sign of his love. Yeah. And uh, and actually, that that gets. I mean, that's not sentimental. Right. That you can't, that it's not pretending that nothing bad happens. Right. Um, um, and, uh, to me, it, it touches on the, the ugliness question because yeah. um, the, the beauty that's just sentimental, that that can be swept aside so easily. It probably should be swept aside mm-hmm. so easily. And, and people say, well, the real world is stark and mean and ugly and terrible, and then let's just wallow in it, you know, whatever. Uh, well, that's really sad because it's people aren't being given a, a picture of, of what beauty is that's mm-hmm. actually weird, right? Yeah. And, uh, anyway, that's all. Yeah. Um, along with what you said, there's something that um, Mako Fujimura talks about in his book, Art and Faith, which is one of the ones that I would highly recommend if this is an interesting topic to you. He takes that idea of um, the risen Christ and the scars that are on Christ's body, and he kind of marries that with the Japanese art of kintsugi, which, um, if you don't know what kintsugi is, that is taking broken pottery and um, reforging it, but putting it back together with gold rather than just gluing it. And so the idea is that um, you are not covering up the scar. You are recognizing that this scar is there and it is a part of your story and it doesn't need to be erased. And so it is holding that, like the very reality that scars can be ugly. But by doing it with gold, it's also transforming it and giving it beauty. But it's But it's not a beauty that erases or covers up the scars or the ugliness or even the brokenness. It transforms it. There's some kintsugi in the tower room. If you've ever seen it, someone knocked a vase over uh, and then kintsugi'd it. Nice! (laughs) I love it! (laughs) Uh, So this is more practical application and factual that Josh kind of opened with. Uh, And it's something that I struggle with in terms of of art and beauty. Um, so Josh gave the example of food 
and then uh, Stephen opened with how do we attune ourselves to be more acutely aware of the beauty, and I think that's good, but in reality, all of that takes time. You have mm-hmm. to have the time and the space, and you have to be in an environment that introduces that to you. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the world is that is not an option for a lot of people. Um, food is a good example. It is cheaper to eat fast food than it is to eat a homegrown tomato. Mm-hmm. You do not have the time to grow your own. Um, and so, whether it's finding your own beauty and what you like to do and create, I recognize that that is a privilege. Mm-hmm. So I struggle with the idea, and this might be the hard fact of reality, I would just, I don't know. But um, that a well-tended soul garden is one of the options for people that have time and privilege to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So is, is there an option? <laughs> or is it just for leisure? Mm-hmm. Can you just repeat that? It was very hard to hear. Yeah. Out of the couch. Um, <laughs> to make it shorter, um, to hone one's sense of beauty and to be able to partake in beauty, whether it's in creating or going to art museums or fishing or doing and things of that nature, uh, you have to have time and money. So a lot of people don't have those things. And so conclusion to that premise is that the only people that can have well-tended soul gardens are people that have time and money to do that. Uh, I was just wondering if that is just a cold fact of reality or if there are other Kevin? So I believe that it's something you have to pursue very intentionally. Believe in God that everything God's created has beauty in it inherently. And it's not just the physical world, it's everything He does. And so I believe that beauty is all around us, no matter where we are. We can see it in the spirit. We can see it in other means if it's not physically in front of us. Mm-hmm. And God intentionally puts it there, I think, to to draw out of us um, the ability to be expressive and to learn new languages to express what's going on inside us. Because we see so much darkness and so many bad things. You know, there's seemingly far fewer examples of good and beauty and things like that. But I think in God's economy, he overwhelms the universe with it. And it's sort of on us to be intentional to find it. So uh, I like the passage, it's the word of God to conceal a matter of honor things to search it out. I think he's he's put it around us. And it's it's great having an infant room because you think of it when you're born, you know, you're, you're, you have a complete inability to express yourself, to appreciate you know, the beauty that's around you, you're radically selfish, and we spend our entire lives becoming less selfish, more aware of what's going on around us. Mm-hmm. And then, in God's sight, he wants us to be able to express, you know, what's going on inside of us. And so I think he gives us beauty around us to try to learn new languages. Um, you know, the way that he creates beauty, they're all expressions, and they're mm-hmm. all languages he's throwing at us in all these different ways. Mm-hmm. And we need to find our own niche, what works for us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, I, just, I have faith that there is beauty to be found, no matter how bleak or dark our circumstances. Mm-hmm. Because that's the light he, he shows in the room to the gospel. Right. And and I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, too, that there is, with some of these things, there 
there does seem to be inherent privilege in having maybe the time or the space um, to do that. I will say that some of the people who have taught me the most about seeing and recognizing and experiencing beauty are um, refugee clients that I used to work with um, and just like the, the ways that they did notice the little beautiful things in their life when everything was tor- had been torn from them and they came to this country and had very little um, very little privilege there in those experiences um, but still a desire and willingness to to see some of those things like the natural created beauty like we're talking about right and I would hope that um, regardless of the life circumstances that give some people more leisure or not that um we could help and encourage others to still see those little moments of beauty. I don't know if that is a sufficient enough answer, but I think that's a hard question to wrestle with. Um, the like past six months. Um, my husband and I have been attending a historically black church, and also in that time, I've had um, yeah, read various books written by black Christians on, yeah, the contemplative tradition um, in black Christian churches, and I am just so, yeah, encouraged by and inspired by the ways in which people who had very little time still practiced communally um, song and dance that yet sharpens their sense of beauty um, in a way that also can feel like that title of justice. I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about the title of a book on beauty and being just and I do think that these ideas are entwined with that which yeah. is truly beautiful is also good and good has social outworkings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I struggle with the way that sometimes we talk about appreciating beauty in very privileged ways, um, but I don't think that inherently um, tending to the soil of our, of our garden or soul, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm butchering your <laughs> metaphor, um, but I don't think that inherently doing that requires yeah, and I and I just believe that because of the witness of these traditions yeah. that have been oppressed is almost an understatement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I just want to yeah throw mm-hmm. that out there. Thank you, I, Marty. I know that you've had your hand up mm-hmm. and you'd like to share. Well, it's interesting because um, uh, yeah, I just had too many thoughts to come to this one. Um, I was just thinking of it, of it and we're also we've been members of the black church for three or five years or whatever and have been struck by beauty beauty there not with, not necessarily with privilege at all yeah but I was actually thinking of a writer 
If any of you know what this essay is, I searched for it forever. I read an essay by Gail Hooks, who's a black feminist, not a Christian, many years ago, about the importance of beauty. And it, and it was she was speaking about it in, in real simplicity, like one flower. Mm. <laughs> Having a flower in your in your rundown kitchen. <laughs> um, the the incredible importance of that to your humanness. And then I've been really impressed with people who've done work in the cities, um, renovate the, the whole idea of renovating old. You know, if you have a a lot, <clears throat> just that's or an area of the city with broken windows a lot, or you know, rundown cars. People who have the vision to clean that up, make a park or something like that. It just the crime goes down, everything changes mm -hmm. um, because of the and the, the care taken mm -hmm. for, and plenty of. People are contributing to that who are who are not privileged, you know, to their little their piece of it. Yeah. Um, but I, also, I had a totally different thought. What struck me with both the image of the garden and the soul is there's a heck of a lot of brokenness in both of those. Our souls are full of brokenness. Our mm -hmm. souls are full of sin. Our souls are full of ugliness. And I guess re redemption is God. Helping us to deal with that, bringing, bringing the blood of Jesus, bringing, bringing Christ, bringing our resurrection hope to our souls because they're mm -hmm. kind of a mess. Yeah. At least mine is, <laughs> but anybody else, they're they're real. Um, there's great tension in our souls. Mm -hmm. And then yesterday I spent most of the day gardening. Um, it was really hard work. It was yeah. because of diseases that some of my plants had that were losing all the leaves and then having to deal with the diseases and deciding to pull some up and put something else in mm -hmm. and deal with something I had to spray every week. And it's a pollinator garden. and that, But that's that's something that is part of God's good creation, yeah. the idea of pollinators, the idea of trying to build a garden that encourages um, um, bees and butterflies and, mm -hmm. and creatures that God has made to, to pollinate. Anyway, that's just a hodgepodge of thoughts, mm -hmm. but I was, but I was with both the soul and the garden. They're not just automatically beautiful places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am glad that you mentioned that too, because that... <laughs> Y'all, okay, can I just say it's really hard to prepare a lecture that fits into an hour? Because um, so many of these things that you're mentioning, I'm like, yes, I originally had notes on that that I wanted to talk about. And then when you synthesize it all together, like things end up, as you put it together, not always fitting. So I'm really thankful that these are comments that you brought up because they are absolutely integral to this discussion and this topic. And, yeah, it is hard work caring for our souls and hard work caring for a garden. And, um, I, yeah, that should not be not noticed. Right. Esther? Kind of, like, trying to pull together some things, even going back to Joshua's question about ugliness, like, I wonder if part of, kind of what Stephen was saying earlier, too, but part of all of this, a way of cultivating beauty is to find find someone who does love the thing that you're like, well, I really should like mm. garden tomatoes because apparently they're really good, but I don't get it. And, you know, <laughs> I used to catch up or whatever. Um, <laughs> That's a fun white bread. But what, like, if you find someone who does appreciate the beauty of something, or in, you know, 
that's like so generative in your own in your own appreciation. But I think that also is analogous to care for your soul. Because if you're kind of like, well, I don't even know where to begin. I don't really know what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Find someone who seems like they have a healthy soul garden. What what's going on? Like what yeah. what is this? And like in that in that kind of a dynamic relationship. I mean, I'm I'm starting to garden. Um, there's a lot of things where I'm like, hello, are you a weed? I don't know who you are. Um, so I like need someone to be like, can you tell me what's happening here and show me how to do this? Mm-hmm. You're garden, and I'm like, get um, <laughs> tell me what's wrong. And, like, in that dynamic relationship, it kind of goes by. Um, Rachel was saying about like, you know, communal practices, right? Of, like, that's where beauty was generated. I don't know, I think there's sort of mm-hmm. something there. Yeah. Allison, did you have a thought? I just have two quick thoughts. One is healthy soil is a result of decomposition, which could be considered like an ugly process. Yeah. So when I think about some things that are ugly, well, I guess maybe, maybe it would be Thank you. Ben? <coughs> I, just, I appreciate the metaphor too because I think there's, there's uh, 
sometimes we're very judging of ourselves for certain things that we really have no reason to judge ourselves for. I mean, things that, we're, that we feel guilty for that are not actually something we feel guilty for. It, it's analogous to, like, not everything we think of, not everything we think is a weed is really necessarily that much of a crisis. Mm-hmm. Like someone said, uh, weed, weed is a totally relative term. All it means is a plant that's growing where you don't want it. I mean, so, you know, uh, the average American lawn is a monoculture. It's one, you know, anything that grows there except the one grass you're growing is like, ah, it's a weed. You know, like, mm-hmm. but uh, well, why? You know? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's, a, there's uh, even the different styles of gardening. Like a French garden is very manicured. And, but there's a, there's a wildness and an unkempt kind of thing that's actually part of the English garden. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, it, and that's actually good. <laughs> um, whereas somebody, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a first thing for all those reasons. Weed is in the eye of the holder. Weed is in the eye You had a thought first, yes. Um, just want to thank you for encouraging beauty. I think everyone, like I said, everyone in here has that ability. And I think I, I used in my classes, I gave my students choices to use beauty to express themselves, song, dance, music, whatever. So this is hard for me even though I'm not shy, but I want to show you the beauty that you gave me tonight. <laughs> Because I wanted to say that my friend M, it's it's not it, it, it is for privileged people, but every day, just like writing or reading, I think we can express ourselves more anywhere, anytime. So tonight, that's what I did mm-hmm. because that's what I'm trying to do. This is hard for me because some of you don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> For sharing Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. You had a thought? Oh, well, yeah. It, just, it kind of sparked something. I think we were carrying the analogy. Uh, just going back to, like, ugliness. It's only ugly because we have a sense of what beauty is. Um, and this kind of goes back to, like, that evil isn't something positive in and of itself. The only reason that Joshua knows that those things are ugly is because he has seeming sense. So ugliness is really just the soil, I do think it's a good analogy, of potential for redemption. You wouldn't be calling it ugly if you didn't think it could be changed, right? And so I think that it really is this decomposition, this breaking down, and Jesus in some ways entering into that uh, as a potential. Um, I do think that is a helpful way, at least for me, to think mm-hmm. it's the first shedding of light on yeah. a very tough thing, but you're still, by calling it ugly, you're bringing light to that space. So, um, mm-hmm. I do think there's a potential for that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You had you had your hand up here, and then you can talk in a second, but you've had your hand up. I'm sorry. Okay. I just wanted to say um, your talk validated my experience here. Um, I am experiencing a lot of grief, but 
Oh, sorry. No. I, I was just saying, my, her talk validated my experience here. I'm, I am experiencing a lot of grief, but going out and seeing the flowers. And before, when I first arrived, someone else was doing them. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them and I thought they were so pretty and I appreciated them. But it wasn't until she left and they needed someone else that I started to, I slowed down and I saw them all mm-hmm. in a way I didn't before. I only saw what she had cut. And then there's the joy of, of creating the arrangements. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, it, and it has been very, such a delight mm-hmm. amongst the grief. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Kevin, did you have something you wanted? Or Kristen? Yeah, tag on to his soil metaphor that, you know, the two things. You know, one, that you know, the seed has to, the parable about the seed has to die in the ground to come back to life again. But also, you got to have manure in that soil, too. you got to have you know, what we think is the ugliest, grossest, smelliest yeah. thing you can't touch to bring the beauty to mm-hmm. what comes out of the, the dying seed that's you know, good in life again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David. Yeah, I want to say that things be beautiful when you look at them from the brighter side. Mm. So when things that might be ugly yesterday might be beautiful to you today because your perspective changed. I want to give an, uh, an example. When I was a kid, a photographer snapped me and I had a picture. I didn't like the picture. And I wanted to tear it. My mom wanted me not to tear the picture because I will need it in the future. Mm-hmm. While I didn't listen to her, I destroyed the picture. <laughs> now, I wish I could have it because I enjoyed the memory of that time. Mm-hmm. Which, whenever I remember it, I wish I still had that. Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, with that, look ugly to some people. It looks beautiful to farmers that keep horses, goat, and animals that can feed on those wood. So, when we look at things from the brighter side, then we see the beauty in them. Mm-hmm. There are so many situations we have faced in the past, which at that time it's been to us. But now that things are changed, we think back to that time and we appreciate mm-hmm. the present situation because of the past experience. Yeah. So to me, like the beauty of women. They are both aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It depends on from the side which you look at them. Yeah. So even if your current situation is something you don't really appreciate, don't despair. Mm-hmm. Like just wait for some time. You learn to appreciate the beauty again better in the future. Mm-hmm. And there is another point which I just really want to address, I think, Chichi talk about it when uh, she has a person like maybe money can like when you have money you can be able to pursue beauty and get what you want 
from what I have seen and from my own personal experience, I don't think money can make life look beautiful. Mm -hmm. Because when I was a kid, I had no money. But I still remember my childhood as probably the best time of my life. Mm -hmm. Because I just saw the beauty things around me, even without money. And there are people saying people that have money and they have done terrible things for themselves, you know, with their money. So that's just my mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, David. I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to wrap this up soon, but there's a couple hands that were up, and we'll, so I'll, you can talk, and then Kristen, and then maybe one more, and then we can wrap up for the evening, so. Just building off what he said, um, really quick, I was thinking of the passage in Isaiah, uh, talking about Jesus, um, it says, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him, mm -hmm. and just how when you were talking about perspective, you know, there was nothing at the time people looking at it from a worldly perspective to look at Jesus and say, oh, there's a lot of beauty there. Mm -hmm. But I can't, it's hard to imagine anything more beautiful than Jesus leaving the glory that you have with the Father and coming down and suffering in our ugliness and dying on the cross for our sins. And mm -hmm. So I think that was a really good point. Yeah. Thank you. Kristen? Um, I just wanted to thank you. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Because you kind of answered a little bit, but it's not, I don't know that answer is the right word. So, to. Um, you know, when you had us visualizing our gardens, um, we have like inside of our house, palm trees, as you've seen, and that's the thing. Lovely, I was envisioning that. But then I was envisioning what it's like for people in Ukraine right now whose places have been bombed out and it's terrible, right? Wiped away. And how do you even get to when you've been traumatized? And maybe it's war, maybe it's something happens, right? So whatever level of trauma, how do you get to a place where you can find anything beautiful mm -hmm. anymore? And I, I, I don't
her world, which had become so very, very small, to still see beauty and share it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the nugget, right? If you can share it. But even, you know, even if nobody looked at the flower arrangements, I think I'd still have a great time. <laughs> I love doing it, so, yeah. 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 Dick, would you like to be yeah. our last comment? Okay. Right. Uh, first, I'll go back to Josh for saying that idea. But, but uh, I think we may need to, this may be getting too cognitive about what is aesthetic, okay? That's the danger. But on the other hand, so isn't it helpful to say, why is this beautiful to me? Mm-hmm. Why is this ugly to me? Let me reflect. What makes it a, why? Why? You, you could tell us more than you did tell us about why Bach is beautiful. You couldn't exhaust your own, express your own perception of Bach, possibly in words. But, but it's helpful to, to reflect on what's, what makes something ugly and what makes something beautiful. Uh, distinguishing from just sentimentality or prettiness yeah. or niceness. Because that's totally under fire. Beauty is totally under fire in the formal artwork today. Mm-hmm. So we need to justify it and retrieve it from cynicism, from mm-hmm. their cynicism. Mm-hmm. So we need to reflect. Uh, and and uh, so to think about it. But on, on this, we've got an imagination. And if you've traveled in Europe uh, in 1948, most of the cities that you in Germany, much of France, were leveled, just like these cities. They've been rebuilt. I couldn't believe, going. this was in 1964, going to Vienna. And it was just totally, with no hint, there'd been a war there. But I saw some pictures of Vienna after being bombed. It was just a disaster. So there's a, there's imagination can see what isn't there, can imagine what, can see what has been done before by different people. Mm-hmm. Say, this isn't the end. This isn't the last word. Yeah. And, and uh, there's all sorts of things we can look at uh, in terms of you know, real estate, buildings, music, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. our imagination can remember and see it. And just in, in terms of music, we've got, uh, I was thinking of a thing today about this being that um, only the elite can, can appreciate our, we have more recorded music that's available to more people today than anyone's ever had in world history. So we've got enormous amount of music that's accessible for not very much money. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And some of the best music in this country was made by poor people on their porch in Appalachia, or at least in my opinion. Deep south or on the plantations. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for your attention and your questions and this discussion. I really appreciated it. And um, yeah, blessings to you all. Do I push stop on this recorder? Yeah. My son was looking at Gordon Conwell, and so in the summer of 2018, I said, I 
I'm with you on Bob. Yeah. I'm with you on Bob. I don't want to press the wrong button. Unless, oh, yeah.